Amen. Let's pray over the word here. Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you say and what you do. I pray tonight that, that, it, that it's your word that comes forth. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to teach your word. I thank you, God, for the honor that we have to sit and to hear what you have to say to us. And I pray what we do tonight is you that speaks. I pray for a spirit of revelation to come to us, that we understand what you want to say by your spirit. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One time I, 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 this preacher came to visit a church of a friend of mine, and, and he invited me to come to it, and, and he was like an evangelist guy. And, and this guy, he brought with him a bunch of ceramic cows and a baseball bat. And uh, he preached a sermon on uh, sacred cows. And every time he would preach against one of those sacred cows and you know, get through with it, he'd get the baseball bat and smash the cow. Um, we have a lot of sacred cows, and, and I know that most of us, I know I'm of the opinion, well, I don't have any, but you know what? I, I, I probably do, and we need to understand that the Lord is bigger than our sacred cows, and we need to be aware and let him speak to us and give us revelation about those types of things. Uh, you know, every year, of course, we have uh, the daylight saving time begins in the springtime, and it's spring forward, and when it's, you know, 10 o'clock, all of a sudden, if that's when you're changing your clock, in, immediately it's 11 o'clock, and if you had an appointment at 10 o'clock, you are an hour late, okay, so that's every year that happens. As a pastor, it was an entertaining morning to me, because, you know, I'd already be on the platform, and people would come in the church building, and you could tell the ones who were... Obviously, they were an hour late, and our, church, our services always started at 10. And so people would come in, and they even, many of them were, 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 had jobs to do. You know, they were either greeters, ushers, or worked in the nursery, and they'd walk in. And I mean, it's already going on. Their eyes get really big, and you could read their lips. Their lips would say, what time is it? Because they knew they were on the wrong time. And the problem is, is that they were already late. I mean, they were late, and they missed it. Well... I believe that much of the church is failing right now to see that the times have changed. The time has changed. It's a different world we live in now. Much of the church is still operating in the sleepy times of the pre-pandemic, pre-riot days when we just had the church in cruise control. And we were just cruising on out there. When excitement was more important than substance, when sensational was more important than supernatural, when we could just preach about feelings and not teach how to fight the enemy. I mean, winning the experience battle against other megachurches meant winning more and more of, of the millennials and, and getting them in. I mean, if we had the most lights and fog and music, and I was watching this couple on TV, on the Internet this weekend, and they were the most plastic people you've ever seen, but they're greeting the people. And it was just this plastic friendliness, you know. I don't know what their hearts were like. I'm just telling you what I, what, what I thought I saw. When the, when, the, when the smooth operation, I mean, is going on and, and, and these people can come and they got this two hours to get away from their kids. And I mean, it's just, you know, all of that stuff going on. Today, that's not working the same. It's not doing the same. I mean, during the lockdown, people realized, many of them, that they didn't really need the church. They're not coming back because... They've not been taught how valuable the word is. They've not been equipped to fight the enemy. They don't really see a reason to attend church 
because nothing's changed in their lives. It's as bad as it was or as good as it was before. The church hasn't really been a factor. So uh, over, the, over time, the church has failed to give people something to die for. More importantly, it's, it's failed to give people something to live for. They don't, there's no cause. So the question is, what time is it? If we're late, what time is it? Well, it's time for the church to move away from, from the, the sweet little sermonettes and felt-need messages and begin to take a stand for righteousness and call people to repentance. Call people up to God. It's time for the church to preach the word so faith can rise up in people because faith is only going to come by hearing the word of God so they can live victorious lives in the face of the devil's vicious attack in this hour. There's more fear today than I've ever seen before in my life. I mean, people are afraid. They're afraid of the virus. They're afraid of the rioters. They're afraid they're going to come to my neighborhood. They're afraid of all of these things because they don't have enough word in them to rise up in faith. And I don't think that's necessarily true of this group of people, but I think it's out there. It's rampant. It's time for the church to realize this is a critical hour. Either the rapture is at hand and we're almost out of here, or we're in a fight for the future of this nation and church as we know it. Now, I'm not talking about the glamour-infused experience, but I'm talking about the living church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're either, either Jesus is coming back, or both, coming back very soon, the rapture is at hand, and I, I think that that's certainly a possibility, but we might, we might just be in a fight, and it's time to take a stand in the spirit. Time to take a stand in the pulpit against forces of evil and anarchy that are raging against what is right and what has made this nation great. I mean, since I, about 10 weeks ago, I started preaching along these lines and, and man, all of a sudden I hear preachers everywhere with the same type of prophetic message that's going on. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 2. Jesus answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. That's a pretty powerful statement. Jesus is talking to church people. Well, they weren't church synagogue people. He's talking to religious people, talking to people who attend the services. I mean, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of the charismatic world has become religious. It's become stale and it's become stagnant. Jesus says to these religious people, you can look at the sky and you can tell the weather, but you don't know the signs of the time. Signs always give us information. The times that we live in are full of signs. If you just, I mean, you can just, you can read the headlines, read what's going on in Israel, read what's going on in the United States, and there are signs everywhere. Signs of the times. I mean, when Joe taught that series about Islam, my, 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 he gave us lots of signs. I mean, they're, they're just everywhere. There are signs that were ever closer to the return of Jesus 
and the rapture of the church. There are signs. If we would, if the church would hear with spiritual ears what the Spirit is saying to the church, I mean, we'd be hearing what God is saying, and there'd be signs. And the church cannot be complacent. The church can't sit back and just rest on how we got here. This is a new time. It's a new season. We live in perilous times. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. This is out of the, out of the New Amplified. It says, And as he, Jesus, approached, he saw the city, and he wept audibly over it, exclaiming, Would that you had known personally, even at least in this your day, the things that make for peace, for freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin and upon that which, are, upon that which is your peace, your security, safety, prosperity, happiness, depends. But now... They are hidden from your eyes. For a time is coming upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank with pointed stakes about you and surround you and shut you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you Jerusalem and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, all because you did not come to progressively to recognize and know and understand from observation and experience the time of your visitation. That is, when God was visiting you, the time which God showed himself gracious towards you and offered you salvation through Christ. This passage is taught, Jesus is speaking, he's prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem that would come at the hands of the Romans in 70 AD. However, I believe it's a prophetic voice for today. He's talking about that they did not understand the time of their visitation. He's saying they, they didn't pay attention, and because they kept not paying attention, the sign was, was, was hidden from their eyes. I mean, the church must come to the place that we recognize there is a unique visitation from the Lord right now. God is trying to speak to the church. We must recognize the call of the Holy Spirit for the church to mount up in the realm of the Spirit, to lift our voices in prayer and confession, to, to, to call it, and, and, and into the physical arena, call for repentance and teach the Word so people can rise up in faith. It's a new time. It's a time of visitation. The revival that God wants to send in the, in the church is connected to this visitation. It's connected to the church hearing and listening to what he has to say. Listen to these verses. This is also from the Amplified, but the New Amplified Bible. This is out of Revelation chapter 3. The, to the angel, divine messenger of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now listen to what he says. I know your deeds. You have a name, a reputation that you are alive, but in reality you are dead. I don't want Jesus to say that to us. Wake up, he said, and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die. For I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God, nor meeting his requirements. So remember and take to heart the lessons you received and heard. Keep and obey them and repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I come to you. I believe the, Lord, the church needs to heed the warning of the Lord. Sardis was a church that had a reputation for being alive and yet it was dead. I think that can be said 
a whole lot to the church of the United States today. Do you realize that evangelical Christians today are the most ignorant of the Bible and foundational truths of the church than at any point in history? It's according to George Barna and other research groups. People are ignorant of the Bible, ignorant of what the scripture says, ignorant of foundational doctrines of the church. They have no idea. They're totally ignorant. We mistake, we, we mistake a feeling for the life of the Spirit. We mistake experience for substance that would enable us to overcome the devil. Listen, an experience will not, will not, will not give you the ability to fight in the Spirit just because you have an experience. We mistake Christian-sounding platitudes from unscriptural songs and wordless sermons for armor and for spiritual weaponry that we think will overcome the enemy in the time in which we live. I tell you, the devil is vicious. Our people, because they're largely biblically illiterate and spiritually inept, think they're alive when they're really dead. They think they got it going on when they don't even know how to fight the devil. Jesus said, wake up. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. Wake up up, strengthen and reaffirm what little you have that's still alive because it's about to die too. He's saying, wake up. He's saying, your deeds aren't meeting God's requirements. Yet they think they're alive. They don't even know what's going on. They can't hear anything in the Spirit. They think that this, that this, that this feeling and experience they're having, that that is somehow empowering them spiritually. Jesus is comparing this church to the history of their city. And this is an interesting point here. Sardis, the city of Sardis, now before this church, at one time was considered the most invincible city in the world. I mean, this city was built on the top of a mountain. It had a river boundary that made a natural moat around parts of the city. Its walls were thick. They were, they, they were seemingly unscalable. No one could get into Sardis. No one could conquer it. Many armies tried to invade, but no one could get in. I mean, this place was the place to be. It was invincible, they thought. Only one problem with Sardis. It was built on a fault line. And there were many seismic episodes over the years. And they, the earth would move and the earth would move. And the attention was paid to the walls and to being on top of the wall and to how, how well the, the city was protected up there. But no one paid attention to the foundation. They were all at the top. The earthquakes would come and go. Over time, the foundation of the city developed huge cracks. In fact, the cracks were large enough for people to walk through in the foundation of the city. So then in 547 B.C., when the Persians invaded, they discovered the cracks. I mean, the Sardinians weren't even aware of the cracks. They didn't even know they were there. And the Persians under Darius snuck into the city at night. And when the people woke up the next morning, they were overrun by the Persian army because they didn't pay attention to the foundation. They were complacent. They were negligent about the, the foundation. They were all about the walls, all about the moat. But their foundation had cracks. Jesus was telling this church, he's telling us, your complacency, your negligence regarding the foundation has made you susceptible and vulnerable and will be your downfall unless you repair 
the cracks unless you take care of them. The Bible says in Psalm 11.3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations. Here's what Jesus said to him. Here's what we do. The first thing he said, repent. Repentance is the key to stopping the enemy access. We must repent. The church must repent. I mean, we need, we need whole-scale repentance to take place in the church. We need people to repent. We must repair the foundations. People that are scripturally illiterate need a foundation repair. They need to know what is the foundation of our faith. What are the foundational doctrines? What, what is it that, we, that, that needs to happen in the church? I mean, they, they must be equipped. They must be armed. We've got to stop this foolish, feel-good, no-fault Christianity that's going around. It's got to be real. The church is the place for equipping. The church is the place for people being able to rise up and to move out into the community and take Jesus to other people. The church is the place where people learn to fight the fight of faith so they're not dependent upon how they feel or what it looks like. The church is this place to do that. The enemy of the church, the enemy of our faith, he wants to stop the church. He wants to silence her voice. I mean... He, the society we live in, the, the evil ones that are out there want us to be quiet. As we said last week, he wants to completely take away the voice of the church. We need to understand the ultimate goal of the anarchists is not noble. Their goal is not to stop Trump. It's to stop the church. It's to stop the voice of righteousness. It's to stop the voice that would call for repentance. That's their goal. That's what they want to do. When the church is out of the way in silence, there'll be no one to stand in the way of the Marxist agenda. Man, that sounds like end times to me. Because the church has to be out of the way before the man of sin can be revealed. And if the devil can get the church out of the way in the United States, there's free reign. There's a fight to fight. There's a cause to stand for. And we've got to stand in the Spirit. We've got to know what to do. We've got to stand. Be willing to do what God calls us to do. I mean, we've got to be ready to take this stand. But there's good news here. Let me get to the good news. Romans chapter 8, and you know these verses. Verse 26 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Infirmities does not mean sickness. It means weakness. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We, I don't know about you, but there are days we don't even know what to pray. We've got, we've got to pray in the Spirit. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to take hold of it with us. He doesn't take hold of it by himself. We take hold. He comes alongside us and he takes hold and we Praying in the Spirit, this intercession comes. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. As we pray in the Spirit, we pray the exact will of God. We confess the exact plan of God, and it has to be released in the Spirit. Sometimes we have to understand we're praying in the Spirit. We're prophesying in the Spirit. And, 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 and that voice has to be heard. And we know, this is the good news, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I mean, as we pray in the Spirit, we're, we're speaking in the Spirit. It will work out for our good. I mean, for those that love God. Now, we love God. I believe in this room we love God. Loving God, though, is not an emotion. It's a choice that we make, even though it's very emotional. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not a feeling. 
I realized a long time ago, the, it's not, the question is never about God loving me. <laughs> That's never the question. The question is, do I love him? Do I love him? How do I know if I love him? Jesus said in John 14, 21, and then in 23, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. <laughs> wow. He said, you know what? We just do what he says. That's the evidence we love him. And he, and, he, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. God loves everybody, but his manifest love is to those who manifestly love him and do what he says. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Can I just tell you something? If God lives in your house with you, the anarchists don't really stand a chance. Amen. That was a good time to say amen. Amen. It says, He will come, make his abode with us, that's, that's good. You know, when I was, when I was young and, and I had to have roommates, and I had a guy move in with me one time, and he had a great stereo. So guess what stereo we used? We used his stereo. We put mine away somewhere. Another guy moved in. He had a great sofa. We used his sofa, put mine away somewhere. When God moves in, he brings the best stuff. He brings the best of everything, and he moves in with us. John said in 1 John 5, Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. I like the next phrase. And his commandments are not grievous. They're good. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. As we stay with him and believe him. We've got to learn to love him. Stay in faith. Everything is going to work together for our good. We love God. We are the called according to his purpose. We are the called. We are the called according to his purpose. Now, what you to think about this. The devil is putting fear out there and, and all this stuff. And I'm talking about fighting in the spirit and all this. And I, I came to this realization this weekend. I just want you to think about this. The devil's plan against the church has never succeeded. It's never happened. Oh, oh, yeah, there are, there are. It looks like it, but God will turn it around. What the devil means for evil, God will turn into our favor. Now, sometimes the format, the method of the church changes. I mean, you know, the, the early church had to go to the catacombs. I mean, it changed the the, the format of the service. I mean, they couldn't use the lights and the sound system because they were trying to get away from the Romans. <laughs> and the Romans wouldn't go down there because they were afraid. They thought the, bo the boogeyman was down there or something. It changed what they did, but the church was never defeated by the devil. The church always is victorious. The real church always wins. wins. God is sending a revival. We just need to be open to the Spirit in order to know how to identify it, it may or may not, in fact, it probably won't come the way that we're expecting it to come or even the way we want it to come, but the revival is coming. The church wins. We need to recognize it does work together for our good. It does work together for our good. I ran across this this week in Acts chapter 18. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, 
born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because all that Claudius because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and he came unto them. Now that doesn't sound like a very important passage of scripture, but think about this. Aquila and Priscilla lived in Rome. They were successful people in Rome. They lived in Rome. Claudius, the grandfather of Nero, Claudius wanted to do the leaders a favor and kick all the Christians out of Rome. So one day he decreed that all the Christians had to leave Rome. He kicked them out of Rome. Now imagine if you're Aquila and Priscilla. I mean, your home is there. Your, your, your livelihood is there. I mean, you've been there for some time. And all of a sudden today you're here and tomorrow you've got to be gone. He kicks them out. They've, I mean, they just got to leave. And they didn't have U-Haul. They didn't have all that stuff. And so they, had, they, they got out. They got on a boat. And they sailed to Corinth. It's interesting. It says they, they got there. It says, it says they lately come from Italy. Literally that says they just got off the boat. These, this is a terrible event. This is terrible for their Christian uh, p- partners in, in, in Rome. It's terrible for everything. It looks like that the devil wins here. They get off the boat and all of a sudden they meet this guy named Paul. God orchestrates a meeting. They just get off the boat. He orchestrates a meeting with them with this guy named Paul. Turns out that Paul's a preacher like Aquila and apparently like Priscilla because the two of them pastored the church together later on. Aquila and Priscilla, they meet Paul. Turns out they're preachers. They're Christians. Turns out that Aquila and Paul were both tent makers. And so they're in Corinth together and they start making tents and they have the, the, the Priscilla and I mean the, the Aquila and Paul tent making company or whatever they call it, I don't know. And they're preaching on the weekends and they're preaching Jesus. And all of a sudden this thing took off. God, God did something here. He made it work together for good. And even though it didn't look like it looked before, God made a way for the church to expand in areas that it would have never expanded before. Because God has a way of making all things work together for good. Think about this. 2 Timothy 2 verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. He said, I'm being punished like I did something wrong. Do you realize that Paul spent six years of his ministry in jail? (laughs) That doesn't sound like a very successful ministry to me, but he was in jail for six years of that. He says, he says, he says, I suffer trouble as able to At this time, he's writing this letter. He's in jail in Rome because Nero has him arrested as an arson. You know, Nero lit the fires, but he blamed it on the Christians. And Paul was the leader of the Christians. And so he had him arrested. He's in jail for being an arsonist. He says, he says I suffer trouble like, I, like I'm a troublemaker, even under bonds. He said, I'm bound up in the prison at this point. I love the next phrase. But the word of God is not bound. Now, what's he talking about? I mean, it sounds like it's not working for good here. Sounds like this is not a very good thing. I mean, he's he's suffering because of his stand for the Lord. Because he preaches the gospel. I mean, he, 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 he he is in jail. But think, he said, the word is not bound. Six years in jail. What do you think he did while he was in jail? He wrote letters to
to churches. The word was not bound. He wasn't getting to get out and preach as much as he wanted to, but the word was not bound. God made a way from prison, and it was a good thing. God made sure that good came from this, and the ministry of Paul still continues because God made a way. We need to understand, God is not finished. If we will not quit, we will not lose. We've got to take a stand. We've got to know that God is working on our behalf. The church needs to rise up in this hour and do what she's supposed to do. Here's a passage we read last week. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. The devil is seeking whom he he may devour. We said last week he can't devour everyone. We talked about last time that the roaring lion really isn't the one that's the problem. The roaring lion is the one that is that is instilling fear into the prey and the prey begins to run away from the roar and runs into the pride and that's where the pride gets the food is when the roaring lion scares them into the pride. The devil's biggest weapon is fear. He wants us to fear. He wants us to run. The one that normally gets caught by the lions is normally the one that's not in, in, in the rest of the herd because he doesn't know what to do. I mean, he runs the wrong way. He does the wrong thing. And so the, then the lions can pounce on that one. But we know this. The devil is seeking whom he may devour. He cannot devour everyone. He can only devour some of them. And when we think of this word devour, as I said last week, it, 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 it's like we think of him, of, of the lion, eating the meat. But the word devour does, is, is the Greek word pino, which doesn't mean eat. It doesn't mean devour. It literally means to drink. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may drink. What, what, what's it talking about? It's a picture of a lion that's hovering over the bones and the remains of this, of this dead animal. All the meat is gone. And the lion is now slurping the juices of this dead animal. He's drinking it up. He's slurping it. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to annihilate the church. He wants to slurp us up. He doesn't want us to do anything. He wants us to be so far gone that he slurps us up. So that's what this passage is talking about. That's what the devil's like. Last week we looked at this word sober. The word sober is the Greek word nepho. I'm just going to read you the definition, then we're going to look at vigilant here. To be sober. Means, I mean, the word sober means to be sober, not drunk. To be free from deliriums, delusions, and hallucinations that may accompany drunkenness. To think straight, not like a silly drunk. To be free from silly thinking and hence be able to have presence of mind and clear judgment. Enabling one to be in control of his thinking rather than controlled by urges, impulses, whims, and fluctuating emotions. To have one's wits about him. To be rational, the opposite of irrational. To be free from a drunken state in which one drops his guard and is more likely to give way to foolish behavior, unreasonable conversations, detrimental decisions. It means to be serious-minded. So when the Bible is talking about being sober, it's talking about being serious-minded in the hour in which we live. To, 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 to think straight. The devil is doing everything he can to frighten us, to get us to think in a wrong way, to get us to run, to, 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 to drop our guard and have some kind of foolish behavior. The devil wants to silence us and slurp us up. We must be sober, but we also must be vigilant. So let's look at vigilance here for just a moment. The Greek word for vigilant is the Greek word Gregorio, 
we get the name Gregory from this Greek word, Gregorio. It means to arouse from sleep. That's what Jesus told the church at Sardis. He said, wake up. It means to arouse from sleep, to be awake as opposed to being sleepy and negligent, to be watchful as opposed to being careless and non-attentive, to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to be on high alert, to put up one's guard against sinister out, a sinister outside force or enemy. Sardis wasn't vigilant. They didn't know about the foundations. This is the picture of someone who's awake as opposed to someone that's drowsy, sleepy, or negligent. It means to be watchful as opposed to being non-attentive. It, it means giving strict attention to something. It means to be cautious and on high alert. All right? The devil wants to stop us. The meaning of the word Gregorio is to put one's guard against a sinister force or enemy on the outside that's trying to get to the inside. He says we've got to be vigilant. By using that word, the Bible tells us there's a sinister force out there and God's word commands us. In fact, it's our responsibility to put up a wall of defense that can't be penetrated. That's why we must wake up. The Bible says in Ephesians 4:27, neither give place to the devil. The word place is the Greek word topos, which describes a real geographical location. In other words, the devil is looking for a concrete location or entry point that he can access the church, access our lives, and begin devouring us. That's what he wants to do. That's why we must be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. Man, when he finally infiltrated, infiltrates the church, he can do what he wants to because he's on the inside. The Apostle Paul's telling, I mean, the Apostle Paul uh, was warning us in neither give place to the devil to close every door, to seal every crack. I mean, we must do it deliberately. We must do it on purpose. I mean, there's an enemy who wants to find his way inside, and we've got to know how to keep him out. Most of the time, this word vigilant is translated in the New Testament, watch. It has to do with being on guard. It has to do with, 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 with being awake, being on guard. Jesus told the apostles, he said, watch with me, stay with me one hour, watch with me. He said, he said, I want you to stay wide awake and alert. I want you to watch with me. I mean, it has to do with, with, with being on high alert. I mean, we've got to guard against the outside enemy forces. It's really important that we understand we must be, we must be vigilant. We must be on guard. We must watch. The church has been asleep for too long. We've allowed the devil to infiltrate. We've allowed the world to infiltrate. The church has begun to copy the world rather than being the influence on the world. We've allowed, we've, we, look, we look like the world looks in, in almost every way. We've got to be on guard against this infiltration because the devil is looking for who he can devour. We must resist. The Bible says, whom we resist steadfast in the faith. We talked about last week, it's talking about a pre-planned method of resistance. It means, it means pre-planned. I mean, we can't have this haphazard attempt to resist when the attack comes. We need to be ready right now. I believe the church has been off guard, by and large, through this pandemic and through all the, the anarchy. But it's time for us to begin to make a plan begin to resist the devil. We must stay in the place of faith and never, ever give up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan. Lord, I thank you tonight 
that we can be sober. We can be vigilant because that's what you told us to do. Father God, we give you thanks and we give you honor tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.